up, everybody? Welcome back to another week of Live Life Aggressively. It's the podcast with Mike Mahler and myself, Sincere Hogan. And Buddy. another great guest this week, man. Yeah, man. We're lighting them up. So we, yeah, got we, got friend, a... we got our friend John Heffron, who is a, he won Last Comic Standing. Last Comic Standing is also it's a show that's lost no one's career. So it's, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, damn. <laughs> okay, so... Like, I couldn't so even get we're we're going to start the show off like that this week, man? Is that how yeah, we're going to start off this no, week? John, we have our friend Sean Heffron, who's a great comedian. I've seen him live a couple of times. He's awesome. He's also a, a fitness enthusiast, so we're going to get his take on what he thinks of the whole fitness industry, which should be really funny. But, uh, John, thanks a lot for coming on board, buddy. Good to have you on. Yeah, and you know what? You, you're 100% with that. <laughs> I, mean, I, I was on, when I was on Last Comic Standing, we, our viewers were like 13 million. I mean, it was, wow. it was you know, pretty huge is when I was on, and that was right uh, my season, which seems like it was 1976, <laughs> was actually right before – uh, Facebook didn't exist and Twitter didn't exist. So it was kind of like if I was on that show now, the, the amount of you know people that could follow you or you can keep a dialogue with would be right. a billion. But at the time, it's like, hey, go to my MySpace page. You know, that was really the only place you can, you know, uh, grab should, They should do a reality TV show on people that have won last comic standing. Where are they now? Just have them all live in the house again, like a new competition. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the last comic is one of those things where everybody who didn't win have all gone on to do, like, a lot of things. Like, Andy Schumer came in, like, right, right. or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, but it's all, hey, it's just exposure. Um, maybe it's kind of like maybe it's kind of like American Idol, right, where Daughtry, he, he came in fourth that one season, and then he went on to become the biggest success of that season, or one of the biggest successes of the show, period. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so, yeah, and it's, you know. it's uh, by the way, so I'm, uh, I'm excited to be on your guys' show, because I'm a big fan, because I'm on both of your mailing lists, and I think anything you guys put out, uh, I end up purchasing. I just want to let you know, so pretty much. Now, John, John was working out of my house one time, and he's looking in the mirror. I actually was looking in the glass door, glass door window reflection, and he goes, man, I don't even look like I work out. <laughs> and just like, and that's, like, that's like your it's – like, it's like we were talking about before we got on. If anyone has a fitness product to sell and you want to make sure you have a customer, just make sure John Heffron is aware of your yeah, product. Yeah. <laughs> he, can, he, can, he, he can have the ultimate yard sale of, with all the fitness products in his house, equipment, videos, you name it. It would be the ultimate yard sale of all time for fitness products. <laughs> yeah, I, I have so much fitness equipment that if I put it out on a yard sale, people would think I was a CrossFit gym and just go, when did you open up here? This is pretty nice. Cool. <laughs> you know, that's, well, maybe that's what I do is I throw it all on my front yard. I make a big sign that says Station 1, Slam Ball, Station 2, Battling Ropes, three kettlebells, and then I let people run the gauntlet. It's kind of like a little kid Kool-Aid stand. I'll charge five bucks. <laughs> There you go, man. Charge money, then you can start making your money back from all those products you purchased, you know? <laughs> but all jokes aside, fitness, it seems like, I mean, you're, you're definitely an in-shape guy, and you're a strong guy, and you've been, it seems like you've been working out for a long time. Has fitness always been something that's been part of your lifestyle, or is it something you got into when you got older? 
Yeah, but it's uh, something, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 43 in a month. It's something as long as I've been involved in fitness and love reading blogs and, and trying new things, you'd think I would be in crazy shape. Uh, so that can also show you that you can be doing something for a long time, and if you're not seeing results, then you're doing it wrong. You know, um, I was when I was a little kid. You know, I was real little. I think in high school I wrestled maybe 98 pounds, um, maybe topped out at 112. So I've always had that skinny guy, um, you know, complex. Like right. just I, in my brain. Uh, you know, I always just think, man, if, if, if I was a big guy, I would use it for evil for just like a day. <laughs> you know, I, I, I would just, at bars, I would stiff shoulder bouncer, you know, like I would definitely be, I would be, I would be douchey for just a day only because I've always been little, you know. <laughs> um, but I'm also one of those guys because I travel 48 weeks, you know, a year, um, where I know a lot of comics that don't do anything and just mentally right. more mentally more than, you know, listen, at 43, I'm at a stage in my life where I'm probably never going to go shirtless for no reason unless I'm going into a pool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, many, how, many, how, many, how many comedians do you think are actually fitness people? Because, like, since you and I have talked about what's funny is, the way rock stars are now versus when we grew up. When we grew up, rocks working out, that would be laughable if you even brought it up. But those were the days where people are destroying their hotel rooms, throwing TVs yeah. out the window, you know, real that rock was, stars. That was their workout, you know. Yeah. I don't think they were lifting more whiskey bottles. <laughs> and yeah, now, yeah. Now, it's, now it's right after the show, let's hit the stack so we can get in the gym tomorrow morning. So it seems like a lot of different rockers have adopted a fitness lifestyle, a lot of different performers. I'm curious if that's permeated over to the comedian world. Well, I, you know, when I, I started in the, you know, 80s when I was in college at 18, and all the guys that were probably my age in, that I am now at that time all came from that era, let's just do stand-up and do a boatload of coke afterwards and stuff like that. And then it's always like partying, like who's got, a, who's got the drug guy. Now after a show, if you're in the green room, I guarantee you somebody will bring up a paleo diet. Or, you know, I guarantee you, <laughs> somebody funny. will want to know if you want to do, uh, I just did a Tough mutter or, hey, how many <laughs> can you kick? You know, then you get in some, cro- you got to try CrossFit, bro. You got to try CrossFit. <laughs> like, that conversation happens more than, you know, is there a shady guy anybody can call? I've noticed for, for a long time there were a lot of comics that drop off uh, that were really unhealthy, and then you hear right. you know very bad stories of them dying in hotel rooms. So, and then mentally, or even physically, you know, I'm on stage five or six, you know, hours a week. That doesn't seem like a lot, but there's been times in my thing where I've gone, I just don't feel like working out, and then I'm on stage and bouncing around, and I feel myself getting winded. You know, so yeah. you have to, it's, it's, a, it's a, for me, it's a marathon. You have to, it's all longevity. Because if you, if you stop and start treating yourself crappy, that will catch up to you 100%. Everything you do to your body is on credit. So it will right. catch up to you. Right. And then you, you know. Oh, no question. Yeah. And no. I bought probably, I probably bought every workout program that's on television. 
Has any of that you stuff know. ever become part of your act? Because I've noticed a couple of comedians are now making CrossFit jokes or kettlebell jokes. Have you, have, have, as someone as knowledgeable as you about the whole fitness industry, has has any of, is, is, are there things that you find that really amusing? I'm sure there's got to be things you find. Well, there's a couple that have come know, because in. I, I literally, I mean, in the last three, okay, in the last month, because I reach, and I'll get to your, your question. Like, lately, there's a gym where I live in Los Angeles. The only reason why I go is because there's 8 billion movie stars go there. You like, I can walk in and see The Rock and then see five really famous porn star chicks and then the two kids from Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. So it's like the, <laughs> it's, it's like the oh, craziest what a mix. mix. Yeah, and you see, like, you know, uh, by the way, I've seen The Rock at the gym working out, and he does this move where he's, he's pretty focused. Like, that dude, like, puts on headphones, and he kind of puts just on the, uh, a look on his face for people not to approach him because he doesn't screw around. Like, that dude, like, goes there with a mission, knows exactly what he's doing, does it, and then leaves. Oh, yeah. uh, one time, you know, one time I was there, this guy goes over to him. We had to take off his headphones, and he's always been – super friendly. I've seen him on, on flights when he's sleeping and kids come up to him. I've never seen The Rock not be as cool as humanly possible. Uh, this guy walks over and goes, hey, do you mind? Can you watch me do curls to see if I'm doing it right? <laughs> not like, hey, if I'm squat, like, you know, squats and, and maybe even a dead, or like, uh, you know, a deadlift or something. You need, like, some technical advice. Right, right. Curling's pretty much curling. (laughs) I don't know. Was your arm straight and then you're done? It wasn't like pretty much. But uh, but when I go to the gym now, I get so bored that you know, and I just kind of walk around. I'm like, why am I even here? So me and my wife, we've been doing like fitness videos at home, and I you know, I'm going through a stage where I enjoy it more than. You know, go, going. Although they need to make. I think I think I think that's a sign that your your hormone optimization program is not working when you engage in activities <laughs> like that. <laughs> so when yeah, you when you buy when you buy when you buy one of those work at home videos, I mean our workout videos to follow along at home, that's a bad sign. When you actually do it after you receive it, that's a really bad sign. That's that's hey, listen, that's I've that's that's. I've gotten some of the best results from my prenatal yoga program that I've been doing, <laughs> that I've ever gotten. No, Andrew Dice Clay has a whole bit on how you can catch gay. I think if you buy those fitness videos, you can, you can, you can catch estrogen or estrogen dominance. So I think it's well, similar. You, well, you know what? With, with, with like the, uh, the fitness ones, I think my wife's doing like the tap out workout or whatever now, and I try with it. They need to do one of those programs for people who have dogs because you want to try to do high knees or hurdles or you're doing something bouncing around. looks good on television, but have two dogs that the second you throw it on your mat, decide that that's where they're going to lay or while you're doing push-ups, they're coming in trying to eat your face. You know. Well, you know, those videos are already out. Those are all on Mike's page. Just go to Mike's YouTube page, and, and his co-star is Grover, and you'll see that. So, that's already been done. <laughs> oh, on, on, a, on a different track, John, you've, you've been a comedian for a long time. I've always been curious how you deal with the just 
total bombing out. You must have had times in your career where you just got on stage and the whole audience just thought you sucked or just didn't laugh at it. Or you just had an off night or you had a bunch of hecklers. Like, it's kind of a twofold question. One, how do you deal with that early stage if you went through that? And two, how do you, how do you deal with hecklers? Did yeah, they that really, was going to be my, that was yeah, my question, dealing with hecklers. Yeah, did they ever really irritate you where you're on stage and the heckler says something, you just get out of character and you go off, or do you just make that part of your, your routine and, and go forward? You know what? It has switched over the years. When, yeah. I first, when I first doing stand-up, and I think most stand-ups go through this, is you give the audience too much power. Yeah. You know, so mentally before you get on stage, you're like, oh, I hope I have what they want. <laughs> uh, right, right. Which is a bad, which is, and then, then something magic happens. I don't, you know, it happens to everybody magically one show where then you go, uh, fuck what they want. They're going to get exactly what I give them. Right. And, and then it's a different, and then you take all the power back. Um, and, you know, they don't get to dictate you know, I used to do that. Let's say if the crowd was, you know, a little bit more drunk and kind of a little bit more feisty, I would then, let's say, start swearing more or try, you know, where I'd be more aggressive on stage to try to match their tone. And yeah. then, you know, now there, there's no way. You could be the rowdiest, you know, drunk crowd ever. You still get whatever I decide to give you. If I decide to be, you know, as rowdy as you on stage, then that's, you know, that's my choice. Um, yeah. Yeah, because it's a, it's a ballsy job. Whenever I go to a comedy show and whenever I see a comedian get up on stage, I always have a little bit of worry for the comedian, <laughs> thinking that I hope this person doesn't bomb because this audience is, I'm sitting kind of at the back so I can see the audience reaction. And then sometimes you see a comedian going into their bit and they're just not getting any traction. The audience is Well, you know, what, some of my stuff, because I've done stand-up now for 23 years, you know, yeah. I have jokes in certain sets that, you know, I say it's like pitching 98 miles an hour. They're kind of bulletproof in the sense of I've done it so long. I've, you know, I know it works. But with that, it's, you know, with stand-up comedy, that first 30 seconds to a minute before you even talk about anything can make yeah. or break the entire show. It's all about rapport building. So right. if you get on stage and you don't build that rapport – and then you try to just do your act, um, you're, you're dead in the water. Right. So that's, like, that's something a lot of young guys don't realize, is that if you're eating it the first minute or two, take a step back, smile at the crowd, literally have small talk, do some gestures with your arms to get acceptance, and then go back into your stuff. It, it makes a huge difference. It's all about uh, it's, it's, it's Yeah, it's... Um, Cause I yeah, saw a comedian bomb really bad one time. His name is Shane, and it was at the Comedy Store in Los Angeles. And he's not a bad comedian, actually. I've seen him a couple times on TV, and I thought he was pretty funny. He just had an off night. But he came out, and he was trying to do his first joke, and the timing just wasn't right. So all of a sudden, the audience wasn't laughing at all. And I think he thought he was going to get the same reaction he normally gets, and he wasn't getting that. So he tried to keep explaining the joke, you know. He tried to, like, break it down and so forth, and – all of a sudden, you hear the audience start getting louder and louder because they're all talking to each other. They're not even paying attention to him up on stage uh -huh. anymore. 
And then all of a sudden, a couple of people in the audience are going, get off the stage, you suck. Uh, and, then, and then he became very indignant. He's like, well, you know, fuck you guys, man. You know why? Because I make money. So screw you all, you know? <laughs> and then people really got after him, like, screw you, man. Get off the stage. I didn't pay for this crap. And uh, Alex, Alex Thomas, who was the host, had to come back on and kind of save the day. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you know, Earthquake came on first, and Shane had a hard time following up after him. And, you know, sometimes we have rough nights, so let me, let me see if I can save the night. But uh, it, it became – I think, I think if he did what you said, like he kind of took a step back and just said, you know what, I screwed that one up and just tried to relate to the audience more, he probably would have been able to pull them back in. But he just got indignant. But, you know, I, I, I can't imagine that doesn't happen some nights, right? You're on the road a lot. There's got to be some nights where you're like, you know what? I don't want to deal with this crap. I'm just not in the mood there, You know, there, well, there's, there's twofold. Sometimes there's just an, you know, we're staying up in, in a perfect world. You're in a nice theater where, you know, that it's a crowd that's, a, let's say, a little bit older and paid good money to be there. That, like, sets it up perfectly. Every right. time, but by the time I get on stage, you know, as the headliner, they've had 40 minutes of comedy usually before me. Um, and your opening acts really can sometimes set the stage for how, you know, how my show is going to go. Right. So it's kind, of, it's kind of like you go to a concert and you see, you know, India is opening for Metallica. Oh, if Metallica, <laughs> opens, if Metallica opens for India. It's right? a good idea. <laughs> yeah, Love to see that audience. <laughs> yeah, but so India, when she first gets on stage, it's going to be weird. So I'm the same yeah. if I'm on stage and let's say the comic in front of me is constantly asking the audience questions. I, I never say anything to the comic because that's his world and it's his stage when he's up there. But I, I start to get pissed when I'm in the back because when I get on stage, I ask specific questions, but they're kind of rhetorical. And once again, I don't give the audience any say. But when you're like, sure, anybody who have dogs, clap, clap. Oh, I've got one. Oh, yeah, I have one too. It's Jimmy Shepard. Anyway, don't you hate it when you're dogs? Then what happens is, when I get on stage and I say, you know, hey, I have a dog. Yeah, so do I. Yeah, I didn't ask you. You know, they, get, they, they start to get kind of trained to be, you know, things. So I've had shows like that. By the time I got up, it was just, you know, 40 minutes of just free-for-all before I get up there. I've also, I also do a lot of corporate events, yeah. which sometimes are harder than a dive bar at 1 a.m. because they're all – CEOs or business guys in suits having to go to some luncheon, having to watch some comic as they would rather be, you know, back home or in their room on their computer at Backpage trying to find a hooker to show up to their room. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly what happens. Exactly. Those, those corporate world retreats, those always make me laugh. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what so you're, you're the guy keeping them from their girlfriend that flew in or yeah. that stuff. So, right. um, <laughs> you know, so sometimes those shows can be a little bit tough, you know, or I do a lot of corporate events when you're in front of like 6,000 people in, in, you know, I probably the worst show that I've had lately that, you know, sticks in your mind, but it, and that's the thing is you can have, you know, during the course of a full year, I probably do hundreds of shows, and the ones that I kill and are just, you know, awesome, I don't even remember where I was or that that even happened. The bad yeah. ones are the ones that stick with it. I yeah. did last summer, 
I, I was performing at Just for Laughs Comedy Festival, and and they have these gala shows uh, where like a big famous person hosts them. Well, I was on the Muppets Gala, so it was it was the Muppets, like not not somebody acting like the Muppets, but the, the physical Muppets, right? So so you're literally on the Muppet Show, it, it, so. You know, and as a kid, you know, as an adult, you never planned on, like, so everybody who was on the show was like, holy shit, we're on the Muppet show. Like, it was a huge, probably the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. Um, and then you get to see, and by the way, uh, you know, at the show, like, Kermit starts singing Rainbow Connection, and there are 5,000 people in this crowd, and I was looking out of the curtain. I saw grown adults crying. Oh, <laughs> so, so I'm excited to be on it and, and stuff like that and animals there, you know, and, and, you know, everybody. And so Kermit introduces me and there's a wall that's supposed to go up, you know, and you walk out like Arsenio Hall style where that's how I, I got on. And then I probably had a 50 yard walk to the mic because it was a huge uh, theater and the mic was at the very front of the thing. The wall doesn't come up. So he goes, and please welcome John. <laughs> and everyone goes crazy. And then the wall doesn't go up. So I'm still standing <laughs> there. And then I look at the stage manager and I go, do you want me to walk around? He's like, nope, stay. Maybe a minute goes by. So now you heard my name. A minute later, now it's dead silent. Nobody's cheering or clapping anymore. <laughs> now, now you're just wondering, where's this guy? minute and a half later, the wall goes up. I walked to the mic in complete dead silence. You heard my shoes clipping on the wood stage <laughs> as I walked to the mic. And then my first minute or two, um, you know, I, I got that nerve sweat, which I usually don't ever get, but I was like, I'm eating this. Uh, and then about halfway through the set, you know, they got into it, but I was only on, you know, up there for five or six minutes. So, you know, statistically it was a really bad set and yeah. I got done and then I had to go, you know, and, and I usually crush, you know, and then there's all these comics who saw me eat it on the Muppet <laughs> show. <you know? laughs> so, you know, but that also goes to show you that that could happen at any time, <laughs> you know, right. even, well, yeah. So that's probably the worst, most recent. Um, all the other ones mentally, I, you know, I realize good or bad, the show's over in 15 minutes, and then yeah. at 55 minutes, I'm back to my hotel room with vending machines watching YouTube videos. So, you know, that moment is over, whether it was good or bad, it's over, and, you know, life's constantly spinning and moving, so, you know, good or bad, whatever, that's a memory. Yeah, definitely, man. I know, like, you're on the road a lot, man. Like, what is probably one of the probably wildest and probably funniest road stories you probably got, man? You know, I guess probably without mentioning names. Who knows? Well, go ahead and mention names if you want to. In <laughs> fact, we encourage you to. <laughs> well, let's see. I mean, in my in my younger days, there was, you know, in younger and in, in single, we uh, there was always, you know, chasing girls stories, but probably just without even – trying to think about it too much i did a a 
it was like a game show for colleges back when I was 20. I, was, I think I was like 20 or 21, where you'd go to a college and then you'd get people on stage and you would have to make them laugh in a, under a minute. And if you didn't, they would get a free T-shirt or maybe 25 bucks or something. <laughs> so we went to this one school in McCook, Nebraska. I, I won't forget the, the name. And we had this dude who, was on, who, who did the show with us who was uh, half black. And he was on stage, and he, and he mentioned being half black. And then the, this basketball team at this college was sitting in the front row. They kind of started giving me a little bit of crap. He kind of dished it back. I got on stage. That was very intimidating. Keep in mind, I'm just out of high school, so now I'm maybe 101 pounds, you know. Um, and an entire basketball team is now kind of shouting at us. So we all individually said something to them, and it was all fun and, and tried to keep it lighthearted. Anyway, afterwards, we go to this pool hall, and we're shooting pool. And as we're shooting pool, maybe 15 guys come into the, come into the pool hall and surround our pool table, just completely surround it. And one of the guys wanted to talk to Jason, the, the comic that was probably saying the most stuff. So as I was just sitting there, and nobody, it was like the Old West, nobody at this bar said, oh, this probably shouldn't happen. Everybody just kind of disappeared. Uh, and... I ended up just out of the blue. One of the guys comes over to me. He's, I don't know how tall he was. Maybe he's like 6'3 or something. And I was playing pool. I grabbed the, the pool cue and just, while they were saying how they were going to beat us up, I just smashed them in the face with the pool, with the pool ball as hard as I could. And then mayhem broke out. And at one point, I think I was trying to crawl underneath the pool table. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. And then we, then one of the kids said we knew what hotel we were staying at. So in the middle of the night, we had to run back to the hotel, load up our car, and then try to, you know, and literally got out of Dodge. Okay, that sounds like a straight-up summer comedy movie right there. Someone, someone obviously saw this and wrote it and made a movie out of that, man. Because <laughs> that sounded like it was purely scripted the entire thing. Yeah, that was, that was scary. And then everybody was mad at me. So, you know, because I technically threw, the, you know, but I, I don't know if it's grown up in uh, outside of Detroit thing or what. Well, I'm like, this is not going to work out for us. So <laughs> I'm at least going, I'm at least going to hit the guy closest to me, and uh, you know, <laughs> to give me one extra chance of maybe making it to the door. <laughs> yeah. So, oh man. So um, let me ask you this, man. I know we were talking about the hecklers, and we were talking about you know people bombing. Uh, let's talk about like some, you know, there's, like I said, in the last few years, you've had like really successful comedians who've just pretty much, these dudes have just had meltdowns. So you would think these guys had everything going for them. And, you know, you know, you had cats like, you know, there was a perceived meltdown that Dave Chappelle had, you know, once, you know, just the fame looks like it became too much for him. But then like recently you have, you know, guys like Cat Williams who kind of got, who's recently just really started engaging too much with these fans, these hecklers and, he just lost it and gone batshit crazy on him. But the thing is, a lot of these guys for kids are being filmed, and the next thing you know, it's up on YouTube, and then it's all over Twitter. You know, Cat Williams loses it, and this, this, and this. So, like, you know, how, like, what do you think is really like getting to guys like this? Like, you even had a few years ago with Martin, you even had like a meltdown. He was just out in the middle of the hot, in, like the intersection, you know, and all this other stuff. So, what do you, 
what are your feelings toward, you know, these guys who are just kind of like, you know, it seems like everything is just falling apart for them now they've really well, got think- to the top. I think as, as comics, you know, there's, you know, how do I, comics kind of have, when, when you start, kind of a, a, a crazy bunch to begin with, because there's something off if you feel the need that you have to get on stage with a microphone and every, you know what I mean? So you're not, right. you're not, you're not really grounded well to begin with. And with those, you know, with, I know, you know, a lot of other comics that, you know, act that way that never make it on the YouTube. It's it's just amazing how, how, you know, you just get affected. You know, you just, the second you start making some cash, then you have all these people around you, and then you, 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 you think of yourself as the messenger and not the message. And because you have people paying to see you, you almost get this God complex in the sense where you're like, you know, you can't do any wrong, but... For me, you know, maybe it's the growing up in Michigan blue collar in me. To me, it's about trying to do the best show possible for the people who bought tickets. Right. You know, so I kind of, I, I never have that, you know, thing where I'm going to go on stage and just fuck off the entire show and look at notes and not be funny. Like Cat Williams, like, for example, his first special was hilarious. But then right. if you see all of his shows now, they're all complete garbage and shit because now, he's, you know, a lot of those guys just take advantage of that fan base. And right. it's kind of weird that even if you see Cat, I'm, I'm sure Cat Williams' numbers of tickets sold more after those meltdowns than before. Oh yeah, people were waiting for him to melt down again. Yeah, people people love seeing stuff like that. Yep. So they can say they were there. Yeah, exactly. You know, with with my sensibility or how I am as a comic, and it's just always what I've done, so I've no plans on changing it. um, I I don't even swear that much during my shows anymore, and you know, I don't mention race or, or or sexual orientation or. Nothing. It's all, it's not like happy comedy, but I enjoy just, you know, keeping it, you know, just light and just, you know, childhood memories and good stuff like that. The problem with doing my type of comedy, it'll get zero press ever. <laughs> no, because we, we love seeing train wrecks. That's the problem with a lot of, not only that, but I think the average person likes to see successful people fail. Because it makes oh, them yeah. feel better now. It's like, oh, here you got a guy working at Seven Eleven. Go, oh, you hear about that guy who had that meltdown? What a loser! Or look at that has been. So it's it's always funny to me when you have guys who are never been making calling someone a has been. It's like it's better to be a has been than a never been. <laughs> you know? Yeah, uh, you know it's funny because we like it so much. Look at all the child stars like Lindsay Lohan that gets all that press and right, right. You know, yeah, just, buys, just, all them. yeah, yeah. But then like I. Do, um, well, I should tell you this story, but uh, I do jujitsu with Jonathan Lipnicki, the kid who was from Jerry McGuire. Right? Yeah, 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 right. Yo, that B small fear. Okay, so that kid, his story is he did all those movies. He was in Stuart Little and Jerry Maguire. He was a pretty popular kid actor. Then he got to high school and wanted to play polo or, or wrestle, one of the two. But he couldn't do it with all the movies he was doing, so he stopped doing movies, went to a regular high school, played high school sports, um, turned 18, 19, or, you know, I think he went to college, got out of college. Now he's, he's just completely ripped and just, you know, he's, in, he's insane. Never spent any of his money. Um, maybe still live with his, like, never sued his parents, 
never did drugs, you know, completely did it technically, you know, the way that you, you should. Just, to, you know, you just really, you just, no, there's never a story about that guy. You know what I mean? No, <laughs> no you're right. And there, and there should be a story about that guy. Exactly. That, that, because, I mean, it, it's, it's a shame that none of us have heard that story before because that's a good one. Because the people yeah, off, it's like, we just want to hear about the train wrecks. What about the people who never screwed up? What about the people who didn't have to go through all that nonsense and then try to find themselves or whatever you want to call it, turn themselves around? But you know what's really funny, and I'm sure you can relate to this too, Sincere, is as you're talking about a lot of comedians and how they have their meltdowns like that, there are so many people in our industry, the fitness industry, that are the same way. They came out of the gate with some good products. They started getting a sense of entitlement because they started getting some small level of fame or exposure from others. And then all of a sudden they started acting like total pricks to people. They started making garbage products. A lot of people stopped working out. They're like, oh, I don't need to work out anymore. I'm famous now. I'm well known for this. I'm just going to stay behind the computer so no one ever right. sees me and just let myself go. Keep begging out these fitness information products. Yeah, man. It, it's funny, and it was funny um, that John was talking about, like, the childhood stars. They're not talking about, unless, here's the deal, unless it's a hot chick who's smart, like Winnie Cooper from Wonder Years. You know, for a moment, there, everybody's kind of like, oh, that's Winnie Cooper? Look at her now. Right. You know, and of course, she, you know, she stopped doing movies, and she became, she's like this math genius. And, but, yeah, you know, she, on paper, that's not sexy to some people. Like, oh, right. math? First of all, math is not sexy to most people. So, but then, you know, it's just the fact it's like Winnie Cooper, and they, they would harp on that. And then it's like, well, at least, you know, she didn't get hooked on cocaine or something like that, like the rest of the child stars. But uh, she's living, a, I guess, a pretty normal life. So they make it, then they kind of tone it down and make it sound so boring, you know, that she's doing this stuff. So I'm just like, they need that train wreck. <laughs> you know, they would rather talk about the entire cast of Different Strokes, you know, going to hell <laughs> for the yeah. most part with their lives <laughs> than talk about a Winnie Cooper, you know? Well, I think it's yeah. kind of like the mentality people have. When, like when we go to the movies, we don't want to see a movie about some campy stuff where everything just goes well, right? We want to see some real drama and some, some action and something that pulls us in. And that's all fine and good, watching a movie. But I think people take that and want to see it in every other context. So, for exactly. example, the news is very dramatic now. They can't just uh. report the news. They have, to, they have to make it very dramatic. The intro the music is very dramatic. Yeah, the intro music to the show is very dramatic. And, I'm like, come on, man. Exactly. It's, just, it's just, come on, exactly. it's just a right. on fire. You know, there, there's, I mean, a kick door burglary. I mean, we don't need this type of music. It's, it's, a, it's a car accident and there's a lot of traffic. Okay, so why, do we dramatic, why does it have to sound like the intro to Spartacus? You know, when the news comes on. <laughs> right. right, right. <laughs> you, you just see the anchor man stand up and screams right in the middle of the newscast, kill them all! <laughs> Hey, let me ask you guys, uh, I have a fitness question for you guys sure. in general. Is, do you guys have any opinions on the 8 billion fitness shakes that are bouncing around the Internet now? Come on, you know what? In my opinion, they're all, pretty much literally, they're all shit. And that's what they're going to end up being anyway. So my thing is just like, there's just so many crappy ones out there, and it's, it's hard to find good ones. And it sucks. I mean, Mike and I know of, you know, there are, a few good ones out there. And, and I really put quotation marks around few, you know, on the market right now. But it's just so many crappy ones out there. And then you have a lot of the, I guess you could say the, <laughs> the, the MLM type shakes out yeah. there. Which, right. that, just, that really waters down everything right there because now you've got everybody walking around tomorrow like, yeah, you just drink this three or four times a day and have one solid meal. And I'm like, come on, does that even sound like it makes any damn sense? You're going <laughs> to drink your food four times a day. And if you're good, We'll let you have one solid meal. 
I mean, hell, they don't have it that bad in prison. Come on, man. Like, <laughs> and also, I was asked about it when they said, well, what do you think about so-and-so, like isogenics or this, this, this? I'm like, okay, even, even those prepared meal programs, even with that situation, when someone asked me, well, what do you think about my, my fit foods or something like that? I'm like, can you, sustain, can you really substantially pay someone $300, $400 a month for the rest of your freaking life? Okay. Right. So and 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 even weight what you know any of those meals you just like can you do that for the rest of your life? Well, I mean I just do it want to get a kickstart. What ends up happening they get hooked on it because it's so convenient. And next thing you know they've gone in debt from like buying you know crappy protein powders and cardboard tasting food that gets shipped to them every week and every month. And <laughs> and then they then they give up and like well now that I'm broke all I can afford is McDonald's. And they go back to the party, right? <laughs> no, I mean, the best, the best protein shakes are always going to be you get a really clean protein powder, you mix all the ingredients yourself, get fresh fruits and vegetables, you load it in, you put in high-quality fats, you put in spices, things that you make in a blender at home. If it's pre-made, it's, it's not going to be good. If it's, a, if it's a network marketing product, okay, if it's an MLM company that makes it, it doesn't mean the quality will be bad. Often the quality is pretty good. The problem is, is that the price is going to be way higher than Jacked it would be up. if it went through traditional retail outlets. Because the, right. nature, the nature of network marketing is, I mean, you have to take into account how many people are getting paid for every sale that's made. So if right. you buy one product, maybe 10 people are getting a piece of that action, maybe more. And the end result is, <laughs> in that situation, it's not like they want you to buy it one time. For them to continue to make money, they have to keep you – constantly buying it over and over each month so guess what they're going to water down going to add all these other products that you probably don't even need these other supplements that you don't even need you know three or four different multivitamins you know something like that and just exactly. all this stuff and you're next thing you know you're financially tapped out and then you're pissed off and then guess what right. you stop buying the product and these people no longer have customers buying from them and then they're pissed off and then they say well you know this company was a scam and then the person that you were selling to, they say that you were a scam and your product was a scam. And in the end, the product, like Mike was saying, it may not have been that bad. It was just the whole approach would have sucked ass for everyone because no one looked beyond right now. You know, how long right. is this going to sustain me? How long is this going to work for both situations, whether you're the person buying the product or you're the person that's pimping out the product? <laughs> you know, it's just like right. you look at the long-term effects of that now. But guess what? You know, the top-level, you know, people that are selling, they already saw the big picture. They're already – 10, 12, 20 steps ahead of you. And they know why they feel such a big downline because guess what? When four or five of the people selling this fall off, you know, they still got another 10, 15 people doing it as well. It's like, it's like the drug business, okay? Somebody's sitting there being in the cartel, and you're like in South America or whatever. They're not worried about what's happening on the street corner. They got enough soldiers out there on the street. So if one, five or six of you get picked up during a big raid on the corner in the street in the hood, guess what? It's not like it's going to hurt business. Because they got plenty more that are going to come up and take over from there. So right. uh, always akin to, you know, if you ever want to learn good marketing skills, just watch any mob or drug movie. Okay? <laughs> just watch that. You will learn the best marketing one-on-one on how to really get your product out there and, and how to sustain it and get a bunch of affiliates, quote-unquote, <laughs> to take care of it. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, but I mean, Sincere made a good point, and it's, it's a common one with most nutrition companies. You start off with a flagship product, <clears throat> and then you, maybe you have two or three other good ideas, but then you, you realize, okay, I have thousands of people that will buy whatever I make. So I, I, the temptation now becomes, let's just keep start making anything. Let's put our label on a multivitamin. Let's put our label on vitamin C. Let's put our label on this just to keep 
just ramming more products to people. So now that now that I'm developing my nutrition company, I want to make sure that I never go in that direction where it's if I don't have a really good idea, don't bother making the product. So if I only end up having three products and that's it, that's fine. Rather than just making products for the sake of making products, and people AKA, make this mistake. AKA what I call financial date rape. I said yes to you the first time, and you know, we're, you know, we went out. I gave you a <laughs> and now you're trying to take more from me, and I'm saying no, but you keep trying to take it. <laughs> yeah. And you're gonna take it any way that you want. You don't, you don't understand. No means no. <laughs> well, like, if I just seem like I asked you a question about, well, how does it work? You think that means okay, take advantage of me. So that's what I call financial date raping right there. No, and it's, and it's not even just nutrition products. It's, it's fitness videos too, right? You make, a, you make a really good first product, and then where do you go after that? Because people, aren't gonna, people are going to buy it one time. They're not going to buy it every month or every year over and over again. They may buy it a couple times for friends, but that's it. So now you have to make a sequel, but what if you don't have anything useful to say? Now it's going to be a watered-down product. It's not going to be yeah, a you know, but you guys, you guys are in that industry. What, uh, there's a, and I don't know how you guys handle it, but this just shows you, I, I think, all the shitty people you end up having to deal with. There's this chick that I look at her workouts when I'm on the road for several reasons. Uh, oh, she's just, Susanna Light? Uh, let me yeah. let me let me guess. Susanna let me guess, Light. She's, okay. she's yeah. Russian and uh, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. she used to be a porn star. Well, yeah, she's been. And I read her story. She was like Russian mob kind of did it. And she got out, so she like changed her life around. And then she's like a fembot. She's the most like in in shape person ever. She's gorgeous, and her workouts she do, she she does are, are you know legitimate like. Ass kickers, you know they're not like right. fluffy kind of stuff. Anyway, John, John, is it a is it a five finger workout you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the point where you're working on your jerk technique and uh, <laughs> yeah, listen, you're going to you're going to get is it, is it a finisher or anyway. what kind of workout? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's good, but you do it at the hardest. So what you do is you stroke really fast, about thirty seconds, and then you stop, and it also builds stamina that way. It's very helpful. But so she, you know, she has some workout videos, and then on one of her blogs, she said, you know, she now has, you know, information products where a lot of her, her workouts she put online on, you know, on her program, and it's like a monthly fee, maybe nine bucks or something. But she's been putting out workout, free workout programs for maybe three or four years. And I think there's like over 200 free, really good workouts. And then I would see the comments of people, and trust me, I have too much time in my hands, I know. But I would see the comments of people going, oh, so you feel the need to charge us now? Well, I guess I'll be finding my workouts elsewhere. And I was, I was, amazed, I was amazed by how many people were pissed off that now she's going, hey, you know what? You're getting a lot of interest. Well, that's, that's the flip side in our business, John. Yeah, is that exactly. on, on one hand, you have people that are going, oh, these trainers are always just trying to make money. And then on the other hand, you have trainers who give away a ton of great info, Sincere and myself and many others. And then you have people that are irritated that we're trying to make money. It's like, well, oh, well, well, I'm surprised you charge for that. It's like, well, I'm not a trust fund baby, man. This is how I make my living. Okay, so I'm, I'm, happy, I'm happy to be generous with information. But don't send me your hormone profile and expect me to do a free consult. That's the one that always irritates wait, me. Someone, wait, 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 was that, was that someone, addressed to me? Was that addressed to me? Because I totally did that to you about two months <laughs> so ago. You're a friend of mine, but someone, someone. I mean, I'll get people who go, "Hey, I just went to my doctor, and here's what he had to say about my hormone results. What do you think?" 
about this. And they're like already sending it to me as if I'm going to look at like a, like an right. was like, I'm going to look at this. And I'm like, yeah. well, did your doctor charge you for that session? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I charged you, buddy. So if you want me to look at this stuff and give you my feedback, you know, because it's not like I just look at it and in two seconds I go, oh, here's what I think. You know, I have to look at it, look at ratios, take my time. It's time out of my day. So, I mean, I don't mind being generous with my video clips, my, my articles, all that stuff. That's all fine and good, and it's a great way to build your business. But at the same time, it's like, come on, people. Don't try to take advantage of generosity. There's generosity, and then there's people trying to take advantage of that. And that, that, can, be, that can be irritating, but I, I have quite a few filters to avoid that. I mean, people – I don't get that too often, to tell you the truth. I got that much earlier in my career. You know, at this stage in the game, I think a lot of people realize that they're, they're coming off as douches if they do that. So you don't get right. too much. I can, but John, I can guarantee you, I mean, I, I, I believe that, you know, um, Susanna built up enough of a following, especially with females. One thing about, that's one thing I learned about when I was in the music industry and entertainment industry, is like women aren't afraid to buy stuff. And that's the reason right. why any label I worked for, it was always to cater to the women because they're the ones that went out and bought CDs. They went out and bought the music. Dudes would just copy his girlfriend's CD. He'll just burn right. it or he'll borrow his friends or he'll just download the shit. So one thing about it, I know, especially if she is such an, if I see the comments and I see it like on, even when she was with her husband at the time. And, you know, of course it was like this big, they split up or whatever. And that's when she started doing stuff on her own or whatever, but he pretty much was kind of pipping her out. As you can tell the way the videos are filmed. I mean, yeah. it's pretty much like she never, it's almost like she never left the adult industry, you know, the film industry, you know, when her husband yeah. or whatever he was was filming it because she would be doing Hindu squats, but then the camera would be right in her butt crack. Yeah. Oh, doing yeah. I'm like, you know, look at her good technique. I'm like, dude, technique is Hit, not Hindu on my mind right now. Yeah. The Hindu pushups, like looks like the camera's like right above her ass. They're yeah. doing the whole thing. <laughs> 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 it's it's just so like, funny. Is, I don't know why I defend her, but like, I watch her, uh, you know, this isn't a theory thing, I'm not a creep, but then I love reading comments because I just, I just like seeing what people's mind frame and women with her get pissed, like, oh, she's using her sexuality, oh, that, you know, blah, 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 where if you see how she's dressed on any of her promotional stuff, go find any other fitness person that has more clothes on than she does. Nobody does. But for some reason, Julia Michaels gets a free pass on how she dresses because she's not intimidating to the other women. Right. You mean she can't wear those clothes, man? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm like, you know, it's hard to wear. But Sarah, since you're making a point, since you're making a good point, I mean, she, she has a, a large enough pool where the female audience will actually be loyal. They want the info. The, the guys that are on there, for the most part, they're, they're, you know, they're not looking to buy her fitness videos to do the workout. They're on there the same reason why any guy is on there. It's a good-looking woman, like, oh, what's she doing? So, exactly. it's like, so, so a smart woman is not trying to cater her, her fitness products to guys anyway. You know, cater it to other women because they're not right. going to have that ulterior motive where it's like, oh, I'd love to take her workshop, give me a chance to hit on her or whatever. Exactly. And, I'm, and I'm not saying that women shouldn't train, guys. I, I know several female strength coaches that do a great job, but they, they don't emphasize their sexuality at all. And these are good-looking women, but they, they don't tone it down necessarily, but they're not going to show up to a private session with an MMA fighter with hot pants on and a crop top. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, they're showing off with a professional look. And, you know, women are still going to be sexualized no matter what. That's just part of the game. But you can, I think you can control that by how you present yourself and so forth. It's not like she could be surprised by any of those comments. 
You know, right. she knew she knew what was gonna. I mean, she's been doing this for years now, and like I said, and a lot of guys know what industry she came from before the fitness industry. So <laughs> it's it's never like you can shake. It. It's just like, you know, I, oh God, I forgot the porn actress um, from like the '80s or whatever. When she tried to go legit and become a legitimate actress, she was like on Melrose Place or whatever. It's just like you know, you're not fooling when no one's ever gonna let go of what you used to do. You would. You <laughs> mean, she started doing it when she was like 16. You know, right. in, in porn. You know, and then all of a sudden she tried to go legit. You know, like Melrose Place, where I was like, nope, sorry, because um, you you on every video, every boy snuck into his uncle's house to get and watch when he was in middle school, and Plus, now that we're Place. the same age, I could care less about you trying to be a legitimate actress. <laughs> so the funny thing about the funny thing about Melrose Place is there is that when Melrose Place first started, she's probably thinking, oh great, you know, this is kind of like a family-oriented show, and <laughs> you know, and but, it, it became soft porn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then that that show devolved into like That's this because, like like this it was really on the original great, Fox. It was on yeah. what Fox used to be before it became all conservative. You know, so that, that, Fox, that show would be like I killed my girlfriend's mother after I had sex with her. You know, it was like that kind of plot. Right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> I left the abortion clinic and then I killed the guy that got me pregnant. You know? Like my husband right. cheated on me with another man. You know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. You know, that show was a total train wreck, man. It just became so over the top. It was hilarious. Oh man. So yeah. But yeah, man. Those. But. You you have those folks who are like so looking for all the free stuff, but the thing that's kind of the that's the nature of the beast and where we are now, especially in the you, you know in the YouTube generation. Everybody's going on there for for free stuff, and you know but they can't sift through what's the good stuff out of all that free stuff. And then when they find the good stuff, they expect it to remain free. So just so that's, you know, you know that's might, a comic. That's my thing. Is I'm getting ready to to I've had a, a CD that I've been ready to release, and I just haven't. And then I'm going to shoot a special. And it kind of bums me out because back in the day, I put out a comedy album, whatever, you'd make money off of it, and that's kind right. of, you know, what you did. Now, you just throw it into the universe. It's right. gone, stolen. Everybody hears it. You see no, you know, there's no, you see no benefit from doing it. I mean, yeah, it might expose you to, to more people, but for the most part, now, no, it doesn't. Yeah. I think yeah. you're in the same I, boat, I think... John, as a lot of bands. Like, a lot of bands are yeah, in the I was same about boat, right? They don't, they don't make any money off album sales anymore. So now it's more merchandising. Let's get more people to live acts. Let's get people buying baseball caps, T-shirts, things like that. Yeah. So I think I think you kind of have to evolve with the times because now that the with technology the way it is now, information products are going to be extremely difficult to charge for at all because you can deliver them so inexpensively. So the idea of making a fitness video and charging 40, 50 bucks, that's going to become something of the past very soon. Yeah. So now you have to start going, okay, I, I don't want to get out of this business. This is what I want to do. So how do I evolve with the time? So I need well, to I get from, you know, my coming, from a, coming from a guy who buys everything. Um, <laughs> uh, and lately, and, uh, I have what your suit is, I've been doing a lot of body weight stuff. Um, I've just found that at my age at, you know, 43, that when I go to the gym and I lift heavy or try to, I just, my, everything hurts the next day or for like my wrist hurt or my elbows hurt, you know, it's, so I used to, I used to have the same, I'm 40, so I used to have the same problem. Then I stopped going to the pretty kitty for shaves and I found (laughs) that my workouts got a lot better. (laughs) So, so, So then I started doing like... I do a lot of like body weight stuff now. Like, like that's my thing is I do. I take my dogs and I do sprints. 
Uh, and then I do, like, uh, a Yoshi Judge, Mike, I wear, like, a, a weighted vest, and I'll go through all the hills, and I'll just go hiking. I'll do right, right. and I'm trying to do a lot of body weight stuff. And it's, I feel, you know, I, I feel that. But with that said, now there's so many fitness apps that are out that, um, I bought a couple yeah. that, you know, that I, really, I put together very nice. And what the, what they do is they go, hey, this app's for free, and then you get it, and then you get a workout, and then the, the little button pops up. Hey, by the way, if you want a 12-week course, uh, yeah. it's $2.99. So, you know, now just the money. So, like, that same guy's program who would have charged 50 is charging $2, but now it's a numbers game. Now, if 100,000 people download his free app and he gets half of that to, to spend the two bucks, you know, you're still making a bazillion dollars more than you would have old right. school way. So that's a cool thing about technology and how everything changes. That, Like you said, if you adapt, you know, you could still kind of run those rapids. Well, I think, yeah. I think what the book, my favorite book on success, Think and Grow Rich, what it said then still carries over now, and it said that you need to have specialized knowledge. So if you have specialized knowledge now, people need that knowledge personalized to get the full benefit. And that's not going to be something that they should expect for free. So, for example, I can make a video and put it up on YouTube, but it's not personalized to the individual. I can, I can put together a nutrition book. Again, it's not personalized to the individual. So it may get to the point where you're putting out a lot of free information via ebooks. You're putting a full video on YouTube, for example, maybe a lecture series, et cetera. But – when people need personalized information, they're going to have to pay for that. So you, maybe your consulting business goes way up. Your workshop business goes way up. Your telephone consulting business goes way up. You know, someone like me, I'm doing nutrition supplements. Obviously, that'll never be free. So that, that's, that's becoming my new right. of income. So I think there's, there's always things you can do. So I, I always hate when I hear people complain about stuff like, oh, man, business is not what it used to be. I remember five years ago. It's like, look, man, you're 35. You're you're too young to have old man syndrome. So let's not talk about <laughs> right. let's not talk let's not talk about the good old days back in 2005. Okay? <laughs> let's, let's talk about now and what you can do because you know, be an adult, take charge, figure out a solution, man. It's as simple as that. There's always going to be offer. There's always opportunities, no matter what. You know, when I first got into the kettlebell business, no one saw it as an opportunity to get into fitness and, and build a business around being a kettlebell instructor. You know, now a lot of people do. But guess what? It's too late now, guys. It was a good opportunity back then and a few years afterwards. You know, I read like just a few years ago, that window started closing. So someone who wants to come in now and just be a kettlebell expert, good luck. You know, that time has passed. Doesn't mean you can't teach kettlebells. You have to do something else, though, something different. So maybe you do kettlebells and some other component some other take on the whole thing. But what we did back in 2002, 2003, 2005, that's not what's going to work now. So there's no point right. trying to model yourself after that. Find something else that you can work. And then if even some of these membership sites are not a bad idea where you're giving away workouts every week and you're charging a nominal fee like $5, you know, something where no one's ever going to cancel that on their credit card statement when they see it. And you get enough. If you have enough numbers, that that adds up into a very nice income. So some people are yeah, doing very also, well. With that. As a as a consumer, if you're getting out of whatever you're doing and it's working for you, then it works. Like uh, like you said, this um, this app that I got, you know, that literally cost me two bucks. I do it every day. It's, it's maybe 15 minutes long. But when I'm done, I've I've you know 
I, I get my sweat on. I feel like I did a lot of stuff. Opposed to when I went to my gym, and then there was a trainer at the gym who I think I paid a hundred bucks for the hour, um, right. and I would just in you know, and they would just do nothing. You know what I mean? So it, it all depends on just what works for you. Yeah, you and, and it becomes more convenient. I mean, look at it. Anywhere we go, we take our phones with us. Now, right. in this day and age. Everywhere we go, we don't necessarily take our laptops with us. And who the hell, how silly would you look sitting there trying to follow a program on your laptop watching the videos yeah. while you're in a big, you know, in a gym? I'm, you know, I'm and how, you, <laughs> that's what, uh, here's my prediction. They will, they will have, and you guys should just, the second you're done with this, start developing it. Uh, there will be workout programs for the, Google, the new Google Glasses that are coming out. Uh, yeah, I thought about the same thing. I know it's coming, man. Because, when, like, when I, let's say I'm watching a video or something or even just, like, a body weight one and you're doing, like, one leg push-up, my neck is always having to look at what the, the TV screen. So, like, I always end up, end up jacking your stuff because you physically have to see what the person is doing. But when those glasses come, your face could be exactly where it needs to be and you're still watching it. So. Well, I think the, I think the future is going to be – like an Android sex doll who can also put you through a workout. So like, no guys, guys aren't even going to want to date real women anymore. It's going to be, I'm going to buy a sex uh, Mike, doll. Mike, guys don't, date, oh, yeah. guys don't want to date real women now. I mean, come on. <laughs> From hair extensions all the way down to fake toenails. I mean, come on. Man. We've already been pri- We've been prepped for this already. So when that happens, no guy is going to be surprised because then this generation of guys are pretty much, that's all they know. He's going to pull a girl out of the closet for that night. It's like, hey, Friday night, I wish I'd go blonde tonight. Like, I want a black girl for Wednesday. I got my Asian girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going to be, it's gonna be yeah. like no, 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 no real human interaction anymore. You know? and, and to be fair to women, and to be fair to women, you're going through the same thing, too, because you got guys getting calf implants and all this other crap going on. So the guys are becoming pretty kindall like as well. They oh. called it metrosexual before. I'm like, it's kindall. And we all know how that will end up turning out. No, these, these, places, these places in Vegas that remove all your body hair, it's just a lot of guys going in there. I, I, yeah. It's crazy. I mean, the fact you had to come up with a term and call it manscaping, the fact that you had to bastardize, you know, mowing a lawn by just doing that to it is called <laughs> manscaping. <Yeah. laughs> You've taken all the manliness out of any kind of landscaping now by calling yeah, it yeah. that. I mean, you know, you know, we're in a weird time when you can you can build a whole business around bleaching a holes. Okay? I, I, know, right? I mean, seriously. <laughs> like, first of all, first of all, why are you interested in anyone looking at that? <laughs> why do you have to bleach it? To bleach it means yeah. that you have an hold on. To bleach it means you have an audience. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who is looking at your your chocolate starfish, man? Come on. <laughs> oh, ladies, it's like if a guy is seeing that point of view from you, he's you know he's pretty excited anyway. It could literally. You know, he doesn't care if, it, if he doesn't care if it's bleached or not. If he's made it that far, trust me. You, you, you could have a tattoo right on your ass that says, "When you're done, I will kill you," and he's so excited that he's there. He said, "Not if I kill it first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that's how that's how special men are. Okay, <laughs> that's how we think." <laughs> But if we were to make some future some future predictions, I just want to put it on your podcast now so when it happens, people will think I'm like Nostradamus. Uh, there will be drone, there's going to be drone trainers, uh, I, I think, where it's just like those little helicopters, and 
uh, it, the drone chases you around the house or gets behind you for two miles uh, and just chases you and, and maybe zaps you. And then hologram trainers will also, I bet oh, yeah. you, uh, be, be in existence where you hit a button. Yeah, that, we're not too far from that one. I mean, already. come on, you got Tupac popping up at Coachella last year. With yeah, Dr. exactly. And then you got Aaliyah popping up with Chris Brown. You know, it's like it's just a matter of time before Jack LaLanne's going to pop up in the gym with you. Okay. <laughs> right? Oh, man. Um, no, they have the people, people do Skype workouts now. So we're like, okay, yeah. let me do a, I'm going to have my client get on Skype. I get on Skype. They show their technique. I give comments, you know, things like that. So like the, that direction is already occurring. Soon it's going to be like you said, holograms where maybe you log into a virtual world. Your client logs into that virtual world. Your avatar is meeting his or her avatar. You're going through a workout. You'll be teaching a seminar in your living room. But you know, I've already thought of it. I don't know what will be their avatars. So you'll be like, man, I got 50 women who showed up in my course today. It's a bunch of dudes in their avatar. That's I want to do a, a hologram trainer where just like Star Wars, like Princess Leia, just he just appears <laughs> in front of you, you know. <laughs> And then he watches the play, but when we, when we develop it, let's make it like those old school strong guys where the guy has like those shorts, boots, and a big handlebar mustache. And the handlebar mustache, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like that'll be like, we'll go old school trainer that way. Exactly. Okay. It won't be high definition. We're going to do everything in sepia. Come on, man. We've got to keep it real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, real, the real crazy thing is that with anti-aging technology and developments, it's going to get to the point where you can – not only slow down aging to the point where you vastly expand your lifespan, but you can, you'll also be able to catch diseases for, before they happen. So using that train of thought, I wouldn't be surprised if there will be nanobats that can be injected into you to cause hypertrophy. So you're making your muscles bigger or you're reducing body fat. So maybe people won't even be working out at all. Or maybe this no. will be something just the elite have, and then eventually it becomes like the cell phone where everyone has access to it. Exactly. You know, like the cell phone first came out, it was like Gordon Gecko and Wall Street. The cell phone was like the size of its leg. <laughs> you know, now, yeah, I can't, I, I can't wait. I'm in, I'm in my early 40s now, and I feel over the next 10 years there'll be a lot of cool stuff. And well, you'll be the first one to buy it. You'll be the first one to buy it, Sean, so we'll be yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm first adapter. When I'm in my 50s, I'm doing everything. If gene doping is, is safe by that point, you can bet I'm doing all that. Why not at, at one point? Why not be Sylvester Stallone? You know what no, I mean? No, like, oh, Sylvester Stallone yeah. a very interesting example because think about when we were kids. I mean, was did any, anyone who was 65, 70 look like that? No. Come on. So no, that, that, exactly. that something like, that's, that's the argument I always make, too, that people are like, well, he uses growth hormone and testosterone. Yeah. Who cares? This guy's 67. What is he supposed yeah. to do? You know, it's, 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 almost like, it's almost like you're not supposed to take any edge at all because you're supposed to just suffer as you get. Like, you know what? I'm just going to be an old man and have low testosterone and just suffer through life. It's like, yeah, of course, do what you can naturally for as long as possible. That's always been my philosophy. But when you're 67 – not going to be a whole lot naturally that ramps up your natural testosterone production and growth hormone at that point yeah. anymore. Right. So is that such a bad is that such a bad path to go? No. Why not? I mean, yeah, the, yeah, the, only, the only issue I have when people do stuff like that is when they lie about it. Like, for example, you know, oh, I I just eat this and I do this, that, and so forth, and that's why I look this way. And then it turns out all that time they've been taking mm-hmm. growth hormone and testosterone and all, all this other stuff. See that? And there's people in the fitness industry who do that. So right. that, that to me is really lame. 
but I don't have a problem with someone going down that route. I'm not, I'm not saying you should do it at 21 or 25. That's stupid. But when you're 67, I mean, come on. Load it up. Yeah. You want to be like Stallone or you want to be like some old dude who, who, whose back hurts when he gets out of bed in the morning can't pick up a 25-pound dumbbell without throwing out his back? Or you want to be a guy who can still train hard, lean, and so forth? I mean, it's up to each individual to make that decision for him or herself. But, I mean, to me, it's a no-brainer. But the good news is by the time all of us get to that age, there's going to be much better development than what's available now. You know, now yeah. it's the beginning of all that stuff. So it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of exciting what's coming around the corner. And people make a lot of counter-arguments such as, oh, you know, we're playing God and this, that, and so forth. Look, man, I mean – you drive a car, you live in a house, you have a coffee maker. You fly on a plane. You drive a plane. computer. <laughs> it's like, oh, what about all this cloning meat in the future? You know, that's playing God. It's like, well, look, if it can be done properly, what's the problem? You know I mean? If, if there's probably going to be some things they have to work out and so forth. But are you trying to tell me that factory farming is a better option? You know, what's natural about that? Or are taking all, these, taking all these pharmaceuticals for all these, these issues that are, you know, are coming from factory farming. You know, yeah. that's playing God, too. Every time you go to your doctor, he's playing God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And exactly. guess what? He's playing God for a price. He's getting paid to play God. And, and the more he plays God, the bigger the price tag is going to be. So it depends what size God he's trying to be, <laughs> you know? Coming up with yeah. vaccines years ago saved, you know, thousands of people's lives in other countries. Is that playing God? You know, me going to, me going to Uganda and – and giving a thousand dollars to an orphanage which can save lives, just that small amount of money. You know, is that playing God? I mean, people like to make a lot of dumb arguments. Exactly. Let's, let's look at what's optimal, whether it's pharmaceutical, nutraceutical, whatever. Let's look at what's optimal and then go from there with that line of thought. Yep, I'm doing all of that. I'm doing all of it. <laughs> I will be robotic. And you got to figure, even 20 years from now, think of all the cool stuff that'll end up happening. Even if it's Cyber, where you're like Iron Man, where you just click into somebody. That's right. You know? Well, that's already starting to come out there now. Yeah, I think exactly, our yeah, guest last too. week was talking about that. I think yeah. I, Nate Morrison brought up how they're starting to come up with that kind of stuff now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. It's like if, if the Iron Man technology exists at some point where you can get into a suit and go flying around, are you really not going to want to do that? I know my brother in law who was injured in Afghanistan. He, uh, he um, his Humvee blew up, and and one of his left leg he blew off his his entire quad muscle got blown off. Yeah. So the leg though wasn't amputated, so it's basically a dead leg. Like if you're right. sitting down to to move the leg, you physically have to grab it because the muscles will pull his leg backwards, but not push his leg forward because he has no no quads. So he's wheelchair-bound and whatever. But now they have this technology where it's like an Iron Man knee that he clicks into this brace, and then the, the electronics and the computer runs his knee and can push his leg, you know, the mechanics can push his leg forward when he tells it that he needs to move forward. So it right. basically gives him a quad muscle. That's all. Kind of insane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, that's fantastic. Yeah. I, th- I think that's one of the best things is with, with a lot of these developments, it's helping people such as wounded soldiers and so forth, where now when someone's an amputee, instead of having to adapt to that and learn how to live with that, the technology is on the horizon to actually regrow a limb or create a mechanical limb. I think that's incredible. I think that's yeah. very exciting stuff. But it'll be used for vain purposes, like I said. Hopefully when we're 60, we won't have those little, you know, 
those little scooters will just, you know, that they sell those. <laughs> yeah. you know, around. You yeah. So, yeah, then it'll be less traffic in Walmart now. Yeah. <laughs> We'll be, we'll be in some Iron Man suit with our, our left collar thing on our hand blinking the entire time. We're flying around on it, you know? <laughs> John, just to kind of get back on the whole comedian trend, is, is that the – it sounds like you started doing it when you were very young. So is that the only job you've ever had, or were you doing anything before that, before you decided to – and what motivated you to get into that route? Were you just kind of a funny guy growing up and people told you so, or was it something you always wanted to do? I did, I started stand-up when I was 18, um, and, you know, how I got on stage for the first time was, I was a huge comedy fan, and this is pre-Comedy Central, so you really weren't exposed to comedians unless you watched, like, The Tonight Show or something. Right. Uh, but there was a comedy club that you could be 18 years old to, to get into on Tuesday nights where I went to college, so I would just go to open mic nights. Um, never really planned on performing. And then the waitress, who we'd always sit in her section because she was hot, goes to our <laughs> table, and she's like, hey, are you guys ever going to get on stage? You know, and at 18, when you have that kind of cockiness, uh, and then I immediately go, yeah, <laughs> you know, probably next week. You know I me mean? Completely just saying it as <laughs> try to impress her. Um, so she comes back to our table and goes, hey, I signed you up. So, yeah, so we'll see you next week. And I was like, what the, you know, holy shit. But I happened to be in a speech class where we had to give a humorous speech. Um, and I was going to, I failed the class because I, I would, never went. And my speech teacher said, we have a forensic tournament on Saturday, which not isn't cutting open people. It's competitive speech. Yeah. Uh, if you perform at it or if you do the speech, I, I won't fail you. So I'm like, okay. So I get there. <laughs> I just do my, you know, I'm delivering pizzas the night before, literally made up the speech as I was delivering pizzas, never wrote anything down, show up, I do this thing. Uh, I end up winning the, the thing with my only criticism was, really funny, not structured enough. I, I don't remember that criticism. So then when I went to the comedy club, I just did the same exact speech. Um, and by the way, that waitress is uh, Lucy Liu from, you know, Charlie's, Lucy Liu. Wow. Lucy Liu. Wow. Charlie's Angels and, you and all that type of stuff. Which is funny because if I actually ran into her, there's probably no way she would remember me. And I don't know if I'd ever want, you know I mean? I could just picture walking past her and, you know, that was how many years ago. She wouldn't remember who I was, even though that she completely, not even really thinking about it, shoved my life, you know, into the direction that it actually, you know, ended up that's, going That's in. funny. Sometimes it comes down to something small like that, though. When you look back on it, it's a small denominator that just pushed you into something. Yeah, and then you just think, and then, and then it's like the butterfly effect. You think of all my friends in my life, yeah. everyone I've ever met is because of you know, for the most part, what I've done, you know, what I've done, you know, right. as, as a comic and stuff like that. So, it's, yeah, it's kind of, um, but before that, I worked at a grocery store since, like, I was, like, 13 to 21. I worked at a grocery store, and then, um, then the probably the closest real job job, I guess, where I would have a boss boss is I used to do morning radio in Detroit with Danny Bonaducci for, like, six years. Okay. Uh, 
well, when I was in my mid-20s, um, me and him had, like, you know, a really popular morning show in Detroit. Um, but I had bosses and had to go to meetings and, you know, all that yeah. type of stuff. Remember that you know? crap. Yeah. <laughs> we, were chick, we were at Chick Station, you know, so a lot of, at the time, you know, a lot of Hootie and the Blowfish, uh, Sister Hazel. Um, wow. Sister Hazel. <laughs> uh, uh, Hanson first came out, like. So we're talking 92. Uh, 95? Yeah, right on 95. Celine Dion. Yeah. Uh, Meredith yeah. Brooks. You know. How many times <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. you have to play bitch on your show, man? Oh, like, oh, dude, you don't even know how many And you gave away those little fair tickets, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, and then there was this one song by Delamitri. I loved it. There's this oh, band, yeah. Delamitri. The first album. It's, it's so unbelievably good. Um, Still I have think this. I think they've broken up and stuff like that, but it was a really cool song. Well, they had this song called Roll to Roll Me. Roll to Me. <laughs> right? But that song was, was two minutes and it was like, it's like two minutes and 20 seconds. And we were one of those stations who were like, we can play your, your hits 12 songs an hour without, without your blah, 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 blah. And what would happen is you'd get behind and then you'd see that you didn't play the 12 songs, and you were always screwed time-wise, uh, and then you'd always throw in me because it was only a two-minute song. You know, it's like, so we probably, you know, that song got played, I, I bet you, nationwide a billion times for that reason. So it's a good lesson. If you're going to write a song, you know, make it two minutes and 20 seconds. Yeah. Was your were you doing pretty well before you went on Last Comic Standing, and did that kind of propel you further, or was were you still kind of no, in the building phase? You know, I was kind of in that figuring out. It was right after I left radio. Okay. Um, you know, moved back to LA. It's kind of like, what am I gonna do? And then I'm like, I just guess I'll just be a road comic. You know, kind of in my, in my head, because I had a special and did some Tonight shows, and then. You know, the, long, the last comic standing story happened, and then I ended up doing that. And then now six or seven years later, i you know, nonstop traveling. But now I'm going through a ghost spurt where it's like, well, okay, so I'm that road comic that I said I guess I'd be okay and happy to be with. But now you're like, is there anything else? Like, what's the next? Here's the deal. No matter what industry you're at, whatever level you want to get to, the second you get there, there's a fuck ton of problems that nobody tells you about. Right. And then, right. And then there's all, it's like a video game. Now you have a whole new level of shit you got to clear, bigger problems, and, and, you know, to work through. And then, you know, I have found staying at a certain level is 100 times harder than getting to that level. Hmm. You know, Very interesting. Um, and well, actually, what, were, what, were, what were some of the problems that popped in, let's say, after you won last comic standing that you didn't think would have that you did that that surprised you? You know what it becomes a, that's when it became what I do for a living became a, a business. You know, uh, okay. that that's when it turned into oh, I just love doing comedy and it's the art. Well, then uh, it turns into okay, you have a theater that holds two thousand people. We have six hundred tickets sold. You need to get, you know, the remaining people in there, and then that all comes down to you as the individual. Uh, and then if you're, not, if you're not selling out places or you're not filling seats, then it's, you know, that all, it, it just reflects on you. Right. So then, so that's before I would just show up at comedy clubs and not give a shit about, oh, like, that's a nice crowd. It's a nice, like, now 
I can see a you know a, a show that looks sold out, and I'll look and I'll see an extra thirty seats, and I'll be like, oh shit, what happened to those thirty? You know, instead of being happy that there's four hundred and fifty people in the room, I'm pissed that there's not five. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so there's that, and then there's also with everything. Um, there's also you know there's an expiration date also too, where I think it doesn't have to happen this way, but you you, be, you could become irrelevant right. if you're not careful. If because as much as a hustle as it is for me as a comic to post on Twitter and Facebook, and you're con- you're constantly hustling through whatever the hustle is. Um, the second you stop doing that hustle, when you're like, okay, I'm just too exhausted, I don't feel like it. It's like a tidal wave. You're gone. You know. So it's kind of like swimming upstream. The second you stop stroking, you're you're down the river. You know, you've right. lost all the momentum. You know, there's been times where, you know, just from traveling, I've gone, I, I got to stay home for a month. I just can't be on the road. I'm not going on my computer. I'm not going on, you know, doing all this stuff. And then you get to wherever you're, you know, week you're performing and you see your numbers aren't as high as normal. And you're like, okay, well, I don't have that luxury. You know, so right. that's probably the, the, the biggest thing is the sustainability and figuring out what the next thing is. Like, probably like, you know, as fitness people, you have to brand yourself and, and have a reason for people to show up at your door and not right. the door of somebody else right. who, who has, you know, resistance bands three, three doors away from where they live. Yeah. Um, well, I think you made, a, you made a point earlier, actually, that, that is, is similar to the advice I often give to fitness professionals. And you said that, when you get on stage, it's more about, look, this is what I'm going to give the audience rather than me worrying about what they want me to give them. And I think I that's a very good point because I know, fitness profess- I know people who teach workshops where they'll get in front of the group and they'll be like, okay, guys, uh, what do you guys want to work on today? And nobody wants to hear that crap. You know what I mean? They want you – they're looking, they're looking to you to have a plan and organize it. So, I mean, you know, you get up in front of the room. You dictate what people do. You decide what the material is. And you tell – frankly, you tell people what to do. That's what they want. They're like, that's what people I pay you want to be for. told what, <laughs> yeah. what to do. I have um, two things. One, I have – I hate running. Like, I'm just – I've just always been morally against it. But I'm trying to run more because I'm 43 and I'm getting – you know, this gut. So I'm like, so if I run, that my body reacts to me running long distances, even though I hate it. So I went, okay, I'm only going to, the longest I'm ever going to run is two miles and whatever. So I bought this app, this uh, running app where the woman basically says, you know, here's today's workout. You're going to do four runs, one for three and a half minutes, you know, uh, one for five minutes with two minutes rest. And while you're running, she's like, okay, start running okay, you have 20 seconds left on this run, and then you can stop for 30 seconds. And she walks you through. So when I put that on, I'm on complete autopilot, and I only do what she says. And it's great because I don't have to figure out anything. Right. I, you know, she's telling me what to And it is, it is what I was saying kind of before I went off on this tangent. I read – I'm writing a book, and the guy I'm writing a book with has this financial program. And one of the things he says in it, now, I have to use, this isn't going to sound very masculine, because I'm going to use butterflies as references here, but it's a good thing. <laughs> that if you're like a, a brand or, let's say, a fitness person or even a comedian and trying to get butterflies to be in your seats to show up at your, you know, your stuff or in, into your boot camps or whatever, 
If you spend all your time and energy and money on the net, uh, you know, on the physical net to grab the things, that's great, but you're still having to grab the butterfly individually. We're opposed to if you spend the money on the garden um, and really trying to make that garden awesome, then the butterflies come to you, and you're not grabbing them individually. And then you constantly have this source where everybody's showing up to. So as a comic, you know, I'm trying to apply that. I don't know how or what, you know, but it's kind of a cool, you know, um, mindset, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's just okay. like with anything else, you have like Sincere has a very good information-based website. That's what I have and others. So people come to us see our message, stay on our websites to read what we're doing. I mean, even this podcast is a way to have an, an interaction with an audience because we get a lot of feedback from people. So we can do a show and people can, they can email us right after they hear us and say, hey, I, I really like that. I'd love to see you guys do this or give us feedback. So I think, I think when people feel like they can be a part of your message, that's very appealing to them. And that's one thing I like about what I see with a lot of bands out there nowadays is that when I, when I used to go to a concert, even if it was a small venue, you didn't interact with the band. You know, they did their set, and they're gone. And it would have been really cool back then as a teenager to have a chance to interact with the band. But, right. but nowadays, a lot of bands will be like, hey, after we're done with our set, we'll be at the meet and greet table over there. And I think that's yeah. cool, man. I think that's really cool. There's, even with Twitter or even, you know, pot, you know, I'm a big – I listen to a lot of podcasts um, and try to do some when I, when I have time, but – you know, as a comic, like, I couldn't even imagine, like, if Eddie Murphy or, yeah. let's say, George Carlin, back when I was, right. you know, 18 or 19, did a weekly podcast, you know? Yeah, it would have been incredible. That. Yeah. yeah, that's all, you know, in, in any industry. Like, I'm kind of like, i kind of a comedy snob, so I listen to just my friends who do podcasts. But the other day, I was bouncing around and, and just in different, areas of life when I start listening to that, you know, those people. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. So in, in some ways, technology allows people to be much more connected, and it's, it's like the audience can be much more a part of the show and interact with the band than back in the day where it was way more segmented. So it's, well, I, 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 I mean, can you imagine you had your band friend or, or, you know, whoever you liked as a kid, you know, people would, would write letters and send it to the fan mail. Yeah, right. And nobody <laughs> right. Now yeah. you could tweet out to, you know, you follow whoever, your, your lead singer or whoever is on Twitter, and, it, you know, if you respond to them enough, they'll probably respond back to you. Yeah, exactly. which would never happen back in the and, day, and, you know? Exactly. That's one thing I like about, like, Dana White. Like, you have some people, you know, some of these celebrities have their Twitter accounts, and they all they're interested in is just getting the numbers. They're interested in getting as many followers as possible. They don't really interact with them. They'll have, like, 2 million right. followers, but they're only following, like, three people, and, <laughs> they're only, yep. and they're only responding to those three people, their friends who they work with or their right. family members. You know, so my thing is, what's the point of you having a Twitter account when you're not interacting with your fans some way? So what I like about, like, Dana White Dana White may not be following you, but if you tweet him, he will respond back. I yeah. mean, he, he interacts with everybody, even if it's a, a pain in the ass douchebag. He will sit there and tell him, like, you're a pain in the ass douchebag. Go kill yourself now. And he'll tell this <laughs> guy that, you know. And, and, but then at the same time, somebody gives him props, like, hey, man, I just got those tickets. You know, I met you at the mall. You know, I found you, blah, 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 blah. I'm very appreciative. And he'll retweet it, and he'll reply right back to them, like, hey, man, I'm, thanks for being a fan. And, you know, looking forward to, you know, you coming to the show, blah, 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 blah. So, He's no, one of those guys, awesome. whether you love him or hate him, he's a, when it comes to business and really 
using that fan interaction to build his brand, he's got it tapped in. And I think people like him, you know, even like Mike and I have talked about in the past, like Gene Simmons, guys like that, if you want to talk about like building your business, building your brand, and really utilizing your fans, you know, and, and realizing working with them and not just working against them by just taking their money all the time, when you really want to learn about things like that and how to be successful at that, look to guys like Gene Simmons, look to guys like Dana White, and see how they're doing it. Not just look at the assholes like a Donald Trump or something like that. So, yeah, which is, yeah and, you know, and, and I think you have to do that regardless of, like, you know, I'm just a comic and stuff, but I've, I, I probably spend a little bit more money on – uh, not self-improvement, but like marketing, kind of getting my, my brain on marketing stuff more than most, right. um, which I don't know how, you know, it's not near as effective as I would like it, but just because you know the stuff, then implementing it is a whole nother, you know, right. beast. I mean, I even uh, yeah. hired uh, you guys for uh, Rocco sure. um, for for some branding stuff. And, right. um and from him and other people, you know, that I've learned, it's basically, you know, you're not supposed to go out and try to get new people. Like, like really, because that's, that's, that's pretty tough is to, for me as a comic to go, okay, I'm performing in Irvine this week. How do I find all these new people who've never heard of me? How do I get them to go to the show? That's almost impossible to do where now I've switched it to go, okay, my fan base uh, that's where I devote all my money and all my content and stuff in the hoping that then they talk about me, you know, and even this week where the comic club I'm performing, you know, I can see, I've said, Hey, I'm performing here. I got a list of people that are going, I can't wait to see it. And then every one of those people I emailed saying, did you already buy tickets? And if they said, yes, I go, well, I added two extra to your, you know, to your group for free. Um, so just, you know, get two people that you think could use a show and it, it, you know, it's on me. Every one of those people that I did, did that to all shared my event and talk about it on, on their Facebook page. Right. And that cost me nothing. Yeah. And that yeah. cost me nothing. That cost me nothing opposed to the billions of dollars I've spent on Facebook ads that just, you know, are just annoying Absolutely. to people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, fair. one thing about that, I mean, yeah. nothing beats word of mouth marketing. And plus one thing about it, those folks, they know those people. They don't know you necessarily on a personal basis, per se, but when their friends are saying, like, dude, you know, I'm going to this show, blah, blah, oh, really? Well, crap. Um, when is it? I want to go, too. And next thing you right. know, because yeah. guess what? That right there was a verified testimonial right there. It wasn't a paid actor or anything like that. That was one of their friends. And they're like, well, you know, if my friend wants to go to that, then I want to go hang out with my friends, and they like it. I like it. And that's yeah. pretty much, how, you know, we're very tribal like that as, as people. And, you know, so we want to be around our like-minded individuals. So it's like, hey, if you think he's funny, then I want to give him a chance. I want to check him out for myself. You know? Right. Well, it's a smart move. I mean, you're harnessing people power, which is what I've always felt is the most powerful marketing tool you can have. I've never been a believer in Facebook ads or, or banner ads or any of this stuff. I mean, I've... I started my business with a with basically no no real money to blow on stuff, so I had to use guerrilla marketing techniques and be clever and so forth. And even now, I I could advertise like crazy if I wanted to. At this stage of my business, I still don't because it's not effective. It's, it's not, not effective anywhere, at all. It's not anywhere near as effective as what you just as, as the example you just gave, John. It's like harnessing yeah. that people power. That that's what's effective. That's a perfect example. And I think the mistake a lot of people make is they think they can just spray the money hose to success. 
Like if I just blow enough money on advertising, I'll be. Yeah, I, I, trust me, I, I was that guy. You know what I mean? Every once yeah. in a while, you know, I, I still. That's why I'm, I'm working on a, a book that's taking way longer than I thought. You know, knowing I probably won't make a lot of money, you know, on the book, but um, it's gonna be a really cool book, and then people buy it, and then that might grow that fan base a little bit. You know. And right. you know that opens up that opens up more doors for you uh, media wise. I mean, just coming from that background, like. I've always known that, you know, very few people are going to have, like, sell a million copies of a book, okay? Right. But the thing is, nothing really says, you know, hey, I'm an expert in what I do when you have that published book out there. Ebooks yeah. are cool, you know, and just because, you know, because of the technology and just meeting that need now. But it's still good to have that physical book to open doors for you when you're talking about the media, when you're talking about, like, just getting in front of, like, even a quick segment on the news or something like that. When, like I said, once you have that book, it opens a lot of doors because in a lot of people's minds still, in that industry, they still perceive like, oh, he wrote a book. Oh, he, was, he co-wrote a book. Well, then, you know, let's see what he has to say compared to the guys like, yeah, I put out 12 e-books. And it's still kind of like, yeah, yeah, but my little cousin can write an e-book tomorrow <laughs> on, on why Kermit the Frog is a good host of the comedy show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <know>? right, right. <laughs> so, so there's nothing that, that beats that, you know, and – and that's, I think that's really, you know, help open some extra doors. Like, it really, especially even like in Mike's situation when um, he wrote his book, okay, it just kind of really pushed his philosophy even further and in front of more people right there and just really solidified and legitimized it. Because, yeah, a lot of people, yeah, they read the articles. That he would write articles for blog posts or whatever. But then it's just like when they had that physical copy of that book to hold in their hand, you know, it's just amazing kind of seeing the feedback. Even like a lot of my people, when I had them, you know, to go in, I said, you know, I think it'd be a good idea, especially for some of those who just need that little kick in the ass. I was like, you know what, you need a book. Stop all the other crappy books that you're reading, you know, that's trying to make you feel good. I'm like, you need someone that pretty much just needs to tell you how it is. And the thing is, the more of our senses that we use, the better. So, like, the way we're talking right now, yeah, they're hearing what we're saying, but sometimes also sit there and read that as well to just further, you know, yeah. support what we're saying. So when they read that and they see it in black and white, and then they hear it, like, right now. You know, it's just, it's just enticing the senses right there. And then they see it, you know, when they're reading the book. So I think that really helped them a lot. You know, even the same, same yeah, with the book that I, I co-authored with some friends. You know, it's same thing. Yeah, I got a chapter in there, but it's a lot of things I've always said. People have seen it before, but when they held it, like, a lot of stuff. Some people have that left-brain action going on where they need yeah. to read it and it needs to be formulated for them, you know, instead of just, you know, just being told what to do. They want to see it, so they have some, feel like they have some type of control over their life. You know, like, okay, now I can make my decision to take charge of my life now, now that I've read about it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 I, think, I think it's a confidence builder for you, too. Like, I'm sure you, Sincere, when you saw your chapter in a book and you saw a copy yourself, you're like, wow, this is pretty cool. Yeah. And that's kind of the way I felt, too. I was like, wow. When I got a copy, when I got the first copy of my book before I started selling it, I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And it kind of keeps you amped up. Just like when I got my first testosterone booster, that was labeled and bottled and sent to me. I was like, wow, I'm actually doing this. This is pretty cool. Yeah. You know, it kind of gets you excited because a lot of times you're in that stage of trying to develop something for so long and you start wondering, am I ever going to pull this off? Am I ever yeah. Gonna yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly. how I am with my book as of, actually as of right now. You know, it's like I wrote it and whatever, then I go back and it's not what kind of what, you know, my brain wanted it to be. And, you get to that point where you're so far down the road, you're like, oh, I'm too far down just to quit and not do it, so I <laughs> yeah. might as well do it, but then yeah. you don't want to just do it to get it done and have it be shit, so it's, right. um, you know, 
And then eventually you also just man up and go, okay, I'm an adult. Just sit down, sit your ass on the chair, write it, get it done, stop pitching. I think, I think the problem people have with the developing of anything is that you get in this perfectionist mode where you keep looking at it and looking at it and go, no, I can improve this, I can improve this, I can improve this. And you can play that game forever. So I think at some point you kind of have to say, you know what, it's not perfect, but who cares? It's done. Get it out there. Okay. <laughs> right. and no matter how, and no matter how well you think that book, you know, whatever you do, product-wise or whatever it is, you will look back at it and go, "That was shit." Only because you're you're now that much smarter than when you did that. Like oh, I look right. at, yes. I look at albums that I put out, like my first comedy CD, like in '92. <laughs> I almost, when I hear it, I cringe because it's just <laughs> my voice sounds different, how I do jokes. But if you've never heard it before, you know, there's a lot of people who have never heard it that go, it's really, you know, it's really funny. They don't have that, you know, you do, you do the best with what you have at that time. And that's exactly. hopefully always, always going to change. So, you know, you're never not going to look back at, at the stuff. So there you go. Yeah, there you go, man. So, quick question, John. Like, um, I know we were talking about, you know, you, you were kind of comparing just like the career, just like to like a video game, going through these different levels. Dude, do you ever think about like, okay, yeah, I, you do a lot of shows, forty-eight, pretty much forty-eight, fifty weeks out of the year. You know, I know you have a family and all that. So it gets to that point. One of the things like Mike and I talked about with workshops and kind of just kind of cutting back a little bit and having to refocus on other things. You know, to sustain sustain us in place of that. You ever think about like moving something else, like maybe a TV or sitcoms, or you know, even not so much even have to do with the networks, but even taking it online because the technology is there now, where you don't have to be at the mercy of the big TV networks anymore that you, you know, have to produce it yourself. I've had a couple deals over over my years with you know with all the networks and stuff, and some of them you know pretty decent. Uh, like we've worked on sitcoms and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think deep down somewhere in my gut. Um, now, th- now, this doesn't mean that I wouldn't do it or I'm changing, but I'm always not giving a shit about acting. But, like, where, where I've almost self-sabotaged myself that if I thought, well, if I ever got something, then I would actually have to do it. Let's make sure I come really close but not actually, but not actually get it. You know, like, right. so that, I think, has been my, you know, but then, you're, then, you know, as a comic, you're made to feel guilty going, well, no, that's your thing. But when I started, it was... Become a comic, get on the Tonight Show, get a sitcom. But now, like you said, there's ways you can blow up stuff and still just be your personality. I mean, look at, like, Mark Maron's podcast, Rogan's. Yeah, those guys have, have built, I don't want to keep saying brand, but they've built a culture, um, and, they've, and they've just been themselves. And, and because of that, you know, um, then other things open up. Then you, you sell more tickets and whatever. So I, I'd be happy... You know, I'm really excited about this book coming out and how the how I'm doing the book. I'm I'm it will be a, a pretty funny keynote uh, that I do at colleges. Um, you know, and then it, whatever happens from there is actually more exciting to me than you know getting on a sitcom. Only because also, I mean, I don't look that old. Uh, and I've said my age a couple of times. I don't, you know, I take care of myself, so I don't look that thing. But now. I've started to write some ideas, not for me, but just for like comics who I know that are in their early twenties, you know, who are at that prime, give them the ball stage of their life. You know, I feel lately I've been going through a thing where I feel like Kevin Costner on, um, on, uh, Bill Durham. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, when you just know, when, you know, you made it to the show for like a second, uh, and, and now your knees are starting to go, and you see the young guy who pitches really well, and you're like, you know, hey, this is how you should be doing. Here's the mistakes I made when I was your age, so, you know. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I mean, you're writing for the younger guys. It kind of reminds me of, um, there was a guy that's actually from here in Houston, um, but he's done so much. Um, you may even know him, uh, Rashawn McDonald. You know, he did some of the same type things, you know, just in the background writing for a lot of these big guys. And and then also you have, like, you know, like Paul Mooney. You know, look at all the stuff he's done, you know, the people he was written for in the background. You know, a lot of these big-name comics or whatever. Just kind of, but he's a guy that's been around for a long time. Well, and, what's also great about technology is now also people can – blow up or create some content and if it's good big things could happen almost immediately you know um yeah. there was a uh and what i mean i look at my first cd that i put out in, like i said 1992 what it cost me what i had to do to get it out to then get it into retail mm-hmm. stores i mean it was you know there was a lot of work there now right. i could record an album in my bedroom right now, have it on iTunes before I go to sleep, wake yeah. up and sell 10,000 copies. I mean, you know, you know, it's that easy now. Now there's enough editing stuff on my laptop where I don't need to pay some dude to go through there and do all the stuff that I used to have to pay for. Right. Oh, yeah, it's a totally different landscape. I mean, just like this podcast that Sincere and I put on, I mean, this is our own radio show where we don't need advertisers because we can. it's not expensive to do. And it's a, it's a platform for us to get our message out in the way we want to do it, uncensored and so forth. And it would have been, I mean, and trying to do this when I was growing up in the 1980s, early 90s, no forget it. I mean, you wouldn't even conceive of it. You wouldn't even think about it as an option. You'd have to go into some recording studio somewhere, try to get airtime yeah. somewhere. Forget it. Well, yeah. yeah I know, like, John can attest to that. We had to deal with, you know, we had to deal with program directors and had to deal yeah. with, you know, the music director. And, and he had to go through all these meetings. They had to get approved by these guys. And then eventually what happened to the industry, you have to have consultants who didn't live in your market to give you the okay if your market wanted to hear what you had to, you know, come up with a show yeah. like this. Right. You have a consultant in Tennessee trying to tell somebody, tell me that in Houston, well, they're not ready for a talk show like that. <laughs> like, Dude, you're, in, you're in Tennessee, so buddy. We, um, you know, to give an example of that, when I did radio in Detroit, we had one program owned by Clear Channel, I think towards the end, but it was from mom and pops, you know, AMFM. Anyway, big company. I remember them, yeah. They had, they had consultants that were out of Texas. Uh, yep. at, at the time. So let's say a band like Bare Naked Ladies would come into Detroit, sell out Joe Louis Arena three shows in a row, you know, uh, two shows a night, and we weren't allowed to play their music on our station because the consultant from Houston would go, I've never heard of Bare Naked Ladies before. And you go, yeah, okay, everybody, you know, regionally, you know, he like, Everybody, you can't get this ticket in this town. But like, no, nope, we've never. It doesn't test. I don't know. Let me ask Fort Worth if they've heard of Vernaculates. No, they haven't. Yeah. And you know, and John, you and I know both that that came down to the money as well. Like, who paid that? You know, how much was the label willing to pay that consultant? You know, to actually tell you know a station in Detroit 
they should add that to the playlist. You know, even then, everything was still dictated by money. It wasn't even about what the people wanted to hear or anything like that. It was all about, you know, how much can you stroke across my palm right here, and and not in the way that we mentioned earlier in the show. <laughs> so, <laughs> I always feel bad for bands like that because, you know, now it's completely changed. But for a moment there when, when – those radio stations were, were powerful. Yeah. And the, the owned Arbitron, they owned the rating system that yeah. then decided who, and then they owned the ticketing system that the bands would do. So that's why every time I'm in some city and I hear some radio station getting wet, ready for their Christmas jingle ball, or, yeah, you know, or, yeah. I feel like every one of those bands are just so enslaved because – they yeah. would, you know, come through and you'd go, hey, you're playing our Jingle Ball, our Q95 Jingle Ball for free, and then the bands would probably go, no, we're not. And then they'd go, well, we don't play your song on 150 radio stations across the country. So we'll see you there Friday at 6, right? You know, no, they we'll be would, there at 545. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So then you'd go, okay, or we take your song off of our rotations and on their stuff, and you get zero airplay. And guess what? Bam, they're at some concert that you know they didn't want to be there for. See those guys need to take. They need to take Prince 101 and learn how to really take control, you know, of your music, of your concerts, of all your money, you know, and of your product itself and your brand. You know, he was one of the pioneers in that. You know, with yeah. just back and forth, they went with Warner Brothers or whatever. So, you know, you can definitely learn from that. Yeah, and even in our industry, there are some trainers who are going through the same miserable. They're being dictated by the big box gyms. You know, right. some of these guys just got in the industry or whatever, but the, they actually really have some good ideas, some good training methods. And they're, they have things that are pretty much outside of the big box gym, you know, you know, realm of what they want from their customers or whatever. So these guys are, they're miserable. And like I said, Mike and I always joke about this. These are the guys that, if they don't watch out, will end up being the salty guy working at Home Depot a few years from now, pissed off. And when he sees you walk in with like, you know, your gym's t-shirt on, he's like, yeah, I used to be a trainer. So this is one of the ways they can kind of avoid that is just like, dude, there's so, the technology's there now that you're not in a position where you have to be a slave to the big box gym anymore and getting twenty dollars an hour whenever the whenever the client shows up whereas the gym's already gotten their three four thousand dollars for the personal training package you know so yeah. basically yeah. you and that client are both getting screwed it's a much more empowering time man. I, exactly. I agree i mean even, even a lot of bands now where back in the day you're you're trying to get a record label you're a, you're a new york city hardcore band or a thrash metal band and so forth where even if you get a label you're not selling enough copies where it's adding up to a whole lot. You're not getting many people to your live shows as much as you want. Now now you can just deliver your music for free as a way to drive more people to your audience, to get more people to your live events. You can, there's, you can take charge of all of those aspects of your success so much more now, yeah. regardless of the business, than you could previously where you're trying to rely on just the way things are done. Because you made a good and point. Like, when, I, when I first looked at the fitness business, I didn't want to get in because I saw it as, okay, I'm going to be a trainer in a gym. I don't want to do that. And then I, when I started looking at people that are doing a much different model, writing books, doing workshops, things like that, I'm like, okay, there's other things that can be done here. There's other ways to get going. But I, I realized that the only way for me to ensure that I'm successful in this is to learn every aspect of it, such as not just being a good trainer with good information and so forth, but how do I distribute things? How do I build a list? How do I market properly? Because I still do everything on my own. All of my workshops are not stuff where someone pays me a fee and flies me out somewhere. No, right. I, I do all the registrations. I pay for all of my expenses, and what's yeah. left over is my profit. And that's the right. way I did it when I first started. That's the way I still do it because now it's at a point where what I make for myself, no one would ever pay me that. 
If I told right. them what my fee is based on what I make for myself, they would say, no way, we, 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 can't, we can't cover that. That's crazy. But right. I know I'm worth that because I create that for myself through my own efforts. And see, that's so, the I mean, key right there. You said you know that you're worth that. And that's, I think that's what these guys sell themselves short. They don't, you know, there's some really good ones out there that don't know what they're worth. And they just feel like, well, I've got to go where the market's going because you've got so-and-so that will come in and do it for blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? F so-and-so. And the thing is, a lot of times if you sit there, like, if you really just be adamant about, like, okay, this is how much I'm going to charge. And the thing is, if they've been following you, they'll know you're worth it. They wouldn't even waste their time calling you. So they know, they know that every dime is, is worth it. Then you have some who, who come up with an outlandish price that have done nothing. <laughs> and you're kind of like, dude, yeah. are you serious right now? <laughs> like, you, you want to get how much for a workshop? Okay, and who are you again? What have you done? <laughs> so, my, my, buddy says, my buddy says when you're, you know, when you're doing pricing for that type of stuff, for whatever you do, any type of consulting, not just fitness, just whatever, that when you reach that stage where you don't feel like getting up out of bed, let's you have a client, right, at, at, at 6 o'clock in the morning. When the first thing you do is you wake up at, you know, 5.30, you're going, fuck, I have to meet this client. I don't want to go. Bad time. Figure out what price will pop you out of bed immediately and then charge that. <laughs> you know what I mean? so, so if you're charging that, I don't want to get up for 50 bucks this guy, that would get me out of bed. Hey, you know what? For 125 I'd probably pop up a little bit more. And then uh, <laughs> that's, that's what you charge, you know? And, you're, you and then eventually just, your ceiling keeps changing. Then eventually you get sick of that. And then you start whatever, and then you lose some people, but then you're actually making more money working less. So it's a whole thing. Exactly. And eventually, no matter how high you go with that price, there's going to be somebody out there that wants that price. There's somebody that wants you, if you're going to, go, you know, if you're going to charge them $500 an hour, they've been waiting for you. They didn't want to mess with you when you were doing $125 an hour. They felt <laughs> yeah, like that's true. below their means. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, no. Like, it's, uh, it's like, yeah, it's so sometimes. Not that good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. People associate that. Oh, 50 bucks an hour. I thought that guy was good. He must suck. Oh, 500 bucks. Oh, man, he must be the best around. Let's go sign I'll up. Take, I'll do All it. Of a sudden, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's true, man. It's kind of like anything think, else. You come off desperate, people run away. Yeah. So you come, you position yourself, people come to you. So, I mean, it's, it's just the difference between the two. And it's dramatic. I, and, and I think, like, if, especially if you're in the fitness industry and you were talking, you know, earlier when we started about, you know, you really got to find that niche. Like, find, you know, there's a yeah. girl at, at my gym. She's a trainer. I never not see her with clients. Like, she's the only one that is consistently always has somebody. But her thing is she only works out pregnant chicks. Ah, uh, like, very so cool. Everybody, everybody that's working out with her, uh, either just had a baby or is about to, and she got certified in that or whatever, but she found that very, very, you know, she knows her clients are going to be gone in, you know what I mean, like eight yeah. months or, or, or whatever. Right. But, right. But, it's, but there's never not a girl who's, you know, not pregnant. So like, that, <laughs> that thing. That's, that's a great, great market, actually. Exactly. Women. I know several that are really successful in that arena. Now, that's a good point. I mean, with my business model, I made a point of saying, this is the kind of person I am. These are the kind of people I want to work with. And many people thought this whole aggressive strength was too, is like, you're not, you're going to lose the mainstream. It's like, I don't want the mainstream market. I want the right customer for me because otherwise I'm going to be miserable doing this. And as a result, that's what I attracted. And the whole thing worked out very well for me. So I think the mistake a lot of trainers make is 
they, they don't define that at all. They just want anyone. They just want to make money. It's like any customer is willing to pay is, is what I'm willing to take. And that's a dumb philosophy to have. Well, that sounds like a hooker. That's yeah, a hooker you're going right you're to you're attract <laughs> a lot of people that are a total pain in the ass, that are not a fit for you whatsoever. You know, decide what kind of person you are, what kind of people you want to work with, and go from there. And none of this, I want to work with professional athletes or I want to do this. No, 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 no. It's the personality type is what you want to focus on because a lot of professional athletes are total prima donna pricks, and a lot of them are yeah. cool too, just like, anyone, just like any other population group. So it's not, it's not like it's going to be all fun and games if you're like, I only want to work with celebrities. Why? You know, figure out the kind of personality that you want to work with. That's yeah. where you're going to be happy, whether it's a celebrity or a garbage man or an everyday person. Who cares? It's the personality that's going to make all the difference. Exactly. That and and I think getting creative and finding that whole. I did um, whoever I was. Rich yeah, otherwise, 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 you could open up a a place, a whole place. You know, just that's going to be my new phrase. Instead of saying, you know, just go to barber college, like, oh, this is not working out for me. Just go, just go open up a bleached a hole business, okay? And shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be my name. <laughs> well, it's when funny. Your I, ass uh, is not shiny enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to open up a, a, a chain of restaurants that was like on one side was uh, stadium seating, and you got wings and stuff like that. On the other side was a a mirror. And there was a yoga class uh, for free, and then we'd give free yoga to everybody who wanted to take the class. But the thing is, so while you're eating chicken, you just see girls in uh, Luna Lemon shorts, you know. Yeah, and, and that's I, when it becomes and that's when it becomes doo doo lemon, John. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, uh, so so then that that was really like my running joke forever. Um, and then I went to the mall recently, and there's this some new yoga clothing line it's some chick's name or something and you saw all these girls doing yoga like in the front in the wit in their butts are facing the way you know when you're walking by and laying <laughs> anyway so this yoga company gives free yoga at this mall for these girls to come and work out and they all wear that store's yoga stuff so geez <laughs> that was like totally my idea <laughs> Oh, That's man. Yeah. Well, see, all right, well, guys, <laughs> you know we can talk all damn day. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of stuff, yeah. Don, do you, yeah. Have, uh, do you have anything coming up? Are you doing any shows this weekend? Uh, I am in Irvine, California uh, uh, this weekend. Um, and then always people can go to, like, johnheffern.com or follow me on Twitter at John Heffern. Um, you know, if you want to get me on your fitness uh, mailing list, you know. Yeah. <laughs> And what what are some of the what are some of the shows you have coming up? Let's say in the next few months, just so some maybe someone will hear a location there. Yeah, I don't. Let's see if I go because I'm not where it says. Um, I will be in. I'm in Florida a bunch in the next couple months, like down in Fort Lauderdale and then Orlando, um, and then then in May I'm in Kansas City, and then I, I'm someplace where I can't read my. Oh wait, we already passed May. Okay, I'm in Orlando, <laughs> Lauderdale, and then New York and Chicago, and then Detroit, and you know, it's all. I'm always someplace. Um, and people can go to johnheffron.com. Go to johnheffron.com. It's not the greatest website in the world, but it has links to um, all my stuff. Or if you're just listening, 
uh, right now, and you have a phone in front of you, if you text Heffron, H-E-F-F-R-O-N, to the number 90210, just like the TV show, Heffron to the number 90210. Uh, I have an app that has all my CDs. You can listen to it on all my podcasts, and there's some, if you're married, there's some marital fun stuff that I won't explain. <laughs> um, but, yeah, but you'll get all my links to everything if you text Hepburn to 90210. And that doesn't put you on any type of list just because you text me. Uh, I, don't, I don't have your phone number or you won't get any text back from me. It just sends you the links to my stuff to your phone. I use that for when I'm at comedy clubs, and that way I don't have to put shit on the table. So no creepy flashlight pictures, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't send you, you know. And but if you follow me on Facebook, I do take Ambien, and every once in a while I'll respond to people, and then the next day I have to go. Why was I talk? Why was I talking to them in capitals? Yeah, I, I do that, and I eat. So uh, I eat on Ambien. Where I've I've woken up where I've had five Easy Mac macaroni and cheese containers spread out on the bed that apparently. I would walk down to the front desk, buy them, microwave them, and eat them, and had zero knowledge of doing any of that. (laughs) That'll be for the next podcast. I'll tell you on ambient sleep stories. Oh, yeah. There you go. (laughs) Wait, man, thanks a lot for stopping by, man. Pleasure having you on, and definitely would get you back on the show, man. We got a lot to talk about. You got a lot of stuff. Yeah, I'm going to go back right now, my my workout video for th- today is crocheting your way to fitness. So uh, <laughs> I'll let you know how that works out, fellas, and I'll send you the sweater that I make. Sweet. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Thanks a lot, John. Right, Have guys, a good one. Take care. Bye. Take care, buddy. Take care, brother. And that was our friend, John Heffron, funny guy. And uh, Sincere, what do you have coming up? Do you have anything coming up in the next couple of weeks? Um, keep it simple. Um, if you hop over to my blog, NewWarriorTraining.com. Um, for folks, since we were talking about the body weight DVDs and John was talking about that, I uh, got a special on there. Everybody can get 30% off of my digital download of my body weight DVD. If you just type in the code LLA, that'll take 30% off, and that'll be going on for the next two weeks. So awesome. get on it now. So, again, just go over to my blog at NewWarriorTraining.com. Click on the tab that says Ultimate Body Weight DVD, and – when you purchase a digital download, you get 30% off with the code LLA. Yeah, if you like body weight training, you're going to love the DVD because it's not going to be just push-ups and burpees and stuff you already know. It's going to be some fun stuff to make your body weight workouts way more innovative. It's great to do for mobility work, fitness, etc. so definitely pick up his DVD. And also, using the same coupon code LLA, you can get 10% off my testosterone booster, my recovery oil, and Exelzyme, a systemic enzyme product I carry. All the information you need to know to make a purchasing decision on each product is on my website, mikemahler.com, M-I-K-E-M-A-H-L-E-R.com. Workshops, nothing coming up in June or July, but in August I'll be in Holland and Germany. So definitely go to my website and check it out. few spots left for Holland. That one's filling up fast. And then I've got September, New York City, the only U.S. workshop I'm doing this year. And maybe the only workshop I'm doing in the U.S. in a long time. I'm not sure if I'm even going to do any in the U.S. next year. I'm probably just going to do a couple overseas. And then I'm doing a course with Dan John and Sabina Scala in October in the U.K. That's going to be a killer course. So anyway, all that information is on my website. 
And uh, that's about it, man. I think that's all I have to say. <laughs> we, have, we have a ton of great guests coming up, so stay tuned. Oh, yeah. All the feedback's been great, but we have several good shows lined up. And I think, I think some of the show topics are going to surprise people, for sure. Oh, we're, yeah. definitely, we're definitely not going to just be doing you know, how to pick up a kettlebell or do push-ups or fitness-related stuff. We're, gonna, we're definitely going to have fitness guests on the show, but we're going to go into some really thought-provoking topics as well. Exactly. So... Stay tuned, folks. Uh, make sure that you're going to Stitcher and iTunes and you're subscribing, and therefore you'll never miss an episode. And keep the feedback coming. You can hit us up on Twitter, at Mike Mahler or at Sincere Hogan. And there's also our fan page, LLAPodcast.com as well. A lot of stuff right there. Write it down. That's the good thing about <laughs> downloading this. You can hit pause, rewind, and then like, okay, what did he say? So, but most importantly, like I said, you can just hit us up on the fan page and on Twitter. Really, you can always catch us on Twitter right there. So, there you go. So, until next week, my man, great show. Thank you. Good Likewise, buddy. And uh, we'll see all of you guys next week. Take care, everybody. Take care, everyone.